Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. America was targeted for attack because we're the brightest beacon for freedom and opportunity in the world. And no one will keep that light from shining. Today, our nation saw evil, the very worst of human nature. And we responded with the best of America with the daring of our rescue workers, with the caring for strangers and neighbors who came to give blood and help in any way they could. Tonight, I ask for your prayers for all those who grieve. This is a day when all Americans from every walk of life unite in our resolve for justice and peace. America has stood down enemies before, and we will do so this time. None of us will ever forget this day Yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our world. Hello, America, and happy Monday. It is September 11th, 2023, which means it has been 22 years since the terrorists struck the World Trade Center in the Pentagon and, of course, crashed the plane in Pennsylvania. But we have not forgotten, and that is not a bumper sticker. That's just not a slogan. It is a mandate that we never forget the security failures, the extraordinary willingness of a foreign entity to strike this country and to kill its citizens indiscriminately, the hatred that drives such terrorism in America because it's alive and well. And it is particularly on this, the 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, all the more jarring because the border is more open than it's ever been. And Afghanistan is more close to U.S. intelligence than it's been since the war on terror. Those are two very toxic developments that when put together create a witch's brew that has so many of our intelligence and law enforcement people lying awake, worried that a terror plot could be in the offing. Nothing specific, but a lot of knowledge a lot of fear, a lot of understanding that an open border with a closed terrorist training ground could pose a tremendous threat to the United States with ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, and so many of the other offshoots that spew hatred and wish to strike this great country of America. Now, we got a great 9-11 show for you. 
We're going to kick off the show with Mark Morgan, former commissioner of the Customs Border Protection Agency. He was an FBI agent in L.A. the morning of 9-11. His life was forever changed that day. He was sent on assignment and, of course, began a long and famous law enforcement career that eventually put him in charge of our nation's border. We're going to kick off with him. Then Bernie Carrick, the NYPD commissioner on that very extraordinary day, the man who rallied the country along with Mayor Giuliani to overcome such a horrific event to secure the city, to create one of the largest mass evacuations in American history. He's going to weigh in. And then I'm going to pull back from some of my earlier 9-11 specials. We've had a chance to do four or five of them now. We're very lucky. I have two interviews that still ring with me today. One of them is former Congressman, Democratic Congressman Lee Hamilton. He was the vice chairman of the 9-11 Commission, the one that went in and did the right things and found out what the FBI, CIA, and the Intelligence Committee messed up what they failed to connect dots on and how to solve it. He had a prescient morning two years ago on the 20th anniversary in an interview with me about us losing our wherewithal, our fortitude, our determination, our attention span as each year passes from the extraordinary horror that day. I wanted to play that interview with you today because I think it is so important that his sentiments, a Democrat sentiments, a man who saw more of the intelligence than anyone else, what he has to say today. And then I want to personify it with a longtime friend, former Solicitor General of the United States, Ted Olson. It was his wife, Barbara Olson, a very close friend of mine. In fact, we were on the phone together the night before she got on the plane in Washington, the one that was flown into the Pentagon. An extraordinary day. I was one of the first people to call Ted and to confirm that Barbara had passed. I knew she was on the plane because she was helping me at the time fight the FBI as a lawyer who had taken my phone records and eventually my mail without a warrant. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. I know Ted does too. From our special a couple of years ago, I want to play that one so that the pain and agony of a family, the pain and agony of losing a loved one is also fresh in your mind, no matter how many years pass. We shouldn't forget those who'd perished or those who were left behind to pick up the pieces on what really was one of the most tragic days in American history. Now, we've got some important border stories today that I want to quickly touch on. We'll, we'll clearly go over them with Mark Morgan, but they're very important. One is the northern border. Yeah, the one with Canada. Now, that's where some of the hijackers like Mohammed Atta came through legally. They came through customs at Canada and into the United States through Portland, Maine. Now, the northern border is beginning to look a little bit like the southern border. There is extraordinary, extraordinary number of illegal migrants crossing the northern border in from Canada into our country, as well as a large number, like three, four hundred of people on the terrorist screening list also coming across the border. That is a really, really significant warning sign for all of us that care about the safety of this country. It's a red flag. We're all focused on the southern border. There's a good reason not crossing there, right? But it's not the only reason to be concerned. And I think today, as New York and Washington solemnly commemorate the 22nd anniversary of this terror attack, closing that northern and southern border is really, really a national clarion call. A second story that just came out a few minutes ago, the Inspector General of the Homeland Security Department saying the Biden administration simply doesn't know where most of the people are, the illegal migrants, immigrants that they've allowed into this country. Just think about that. Several million people legally allowed into the country and nobody, nobody knows where they are. Uh, significant loss of addresses and tracking. That is a real concern. Again, 
for the safety of this country. And again, a completely avoidable one. That is what makes, I think, people so frustrated. And then finally, this is a really remarkable thing. It was really announced this morning on the 22nd anniversary. The number of fire department workers from the New York Fire Department, FDNY, the number who have died from post 9-11 illnesses is nearly equal to those who died that day in the towers. Think about that. It is a really extraordinary legacy of 9-11 that so many people who are first responders, brave people, people who worked the construction scene afterwards, that they died from or have suffered greatly from the poisons and the toxins in the air and the exposure to asbestos and other things. The casualties of 9-11 have continued on 22 years later. And I think that that's why so many of us today can't forget. We shouldn't forget. We will not let America forget on this very big day. Now, we're going to get a quick commercial break here in a second. I'm going to start off the day with Mark Morgan, former FBI agent on 9-11 and former commissioner of the Customs and Border Protection Agency, and then followed by Bernie Carrick, and then two great legacy interviews with Ted Olson and Lee Hamilton. But before we get to that, we have many great sponsors and partners at Just the News. They make all of this reporting, this show available. One of them, my good friends at Four Patriot. I want to not only thank them for being a partner in this effort to create great news and great content like the podcast, like the television show, but also because they're helping all of us be prepared for a catastrophe, whether it's the rise of the hurricane season, the flooding that goes along with it. We saw some of that, and the East Coast is in danger of seeing that again. Sometimes after a hurricane, it's impossible to restock the grocery stores or to get even to them to make sure that you're well-fed. And that's why our friends at Four Patriots have created the ultimate emergency food kit. They're long-lasting, so they can sit on your shelf for a long time. They're ready from the moment you need them, like a hurricane or a tornado. And they're packed with delicious food and easy to make. Just a few seconds to turn around a whole dinner for your family. Now, for our listeners, Four Patriots is giving 10% off any first purchase of anything in the store. That means anything, whether it's the solar generator, the food kits, what a deal, right? And what's great about their food kits, and I know this because I have them, they're designed to last up to 25 years. And all you got to do to get started, to get one on your shelf so that you don't have to worry about it during the next hurricane, the next storm, the next concern, Go to fourpatriots.com and use the promo code Solomon, S-O-L-O-M-O-N. That's pretty easy to remember. Four Patriots Survival Food Kits are hand-packed in the USA. They last up to 25 years. They come packed inside covert storage totes, include a wide variety of delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. And they're backed by thousands of five-star customer reviews because Four Patriots is that good. So do me a favor today. Say thank you to Four Patriots. And also, prepare yourself. Do something for yourself. Be prepared. God forbid there be a hurricane tornado or something where you are cut off from the food supply chain. Go get your emergency food kit today. Go to fourpatriots.com and use the promo code Solomon, S-O-L-O-M-O-N, to get 10% off your first purchase of Four Patriots Survival Food. That's fourpatriots.com and use the code Solomon. All right, we'll be right back with Mark Morgan right after these messages. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. 
Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home and its title. The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Title Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge your signature on a home sale form. Then he or she refiles as the new owner and bam, your home is not in your name and all of a sudden debts are being taken out against it. That's why Home Title Lock is my choice. Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at sign up. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. Folks, Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, plus veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutritional-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. If you're like me and have a busy schedule that the last thing you want to worry about is what to eat or having to go to the grocery store, Factor makes it easy. As they are flexible to your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, usually in just two minutes. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash justnews50 and use the promo code justnews50 to get 50% off. That's the code justnews50 at factormeals.com. One more time, factormeals.com slash justnews50. Use the justnews50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. As you know, we're all commemorating the 22nd anniversary of the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks, the most deadly attacks on U.S. soil in American history. And though more than two decades have passed, the memory is still fresh and the threat against this United States is just as real today. In fact, some fear it may be more real because of some of the loosening of the restrictions on the border. I want to turn to one of my favorite law enforcement sources, his career from the Los Angeles Police Department to FBI and senior leader in the FBI to commissioner of the Customs and Border Protection Agency, makes him incredibly qualified to discuss these issues on this very solemn day. Joining us right now, our good friend, Mark Morgan. Mark, welcome back to the show. John, I appreciate you having me on today. I want to just start. It's always funny. Many years have passed, but I feel like most people who lived through that day kind of remember exactly where they were, what they did that day. Your recollections 22 years later of what you were doing and what you felt and experienced that day when America was hit so hard. I remember vividly, like it was yesterday, like all of us. I mean, I knew exactly what I was doing at that moment. I, I was a special agent for the FBI then. I was living in Southern California. I just completed one of my typical early morning runs, and I was back in my apartment getting ready to go to work, and, and my supervisor called me said, Mark, turn on the TV. And I turned on the TV, and I saw the image of the two Twin Towers in New York engulfed in flames. 
Uh, it wasn't a, a few days later. I found myself standing, uh, you know, at, at the base of the Pentagon. A few days after that, I actually spent uh, a little bit of time at Ground Zero. And a few years later, I actually found myself as a special agent deployed to Iraq as a deputy on scene commander there. Wow. And then the, the rest is history. Such an amazing moment. I mean, it transformed your your career responsibilities overnight. I think a lot of people look at this and they forget how different our security posture was before 9-11 and then afterwards, a really significant evolution. It took a lot of effort, a couple of wars, a lot of effort. Do you feel like those reforms are as solid today as they were then, or are we beginning to become a little bit soft on some of these security issues? I, I, feel, we've been, I feel we've gotten complacent. I feel our vigilance has been muted over the past probably eight, nine years, John, and it's, it's unfortunate. I, I feel as though you know, we, we, we come together once a year as a remembrance, but the other 364 days of the year for the, for the masses in the United States, I think they've forgotten. I think a lot of people have forgotten or don't even know why the Department of Homeland Security was created, why Customs and Border Protection, which I would eventually lead, was created. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify message, but it was pretty clear. Those organizations were created only and because of 9-11 to protect our homeland. And now, look, and you and I talked about it before we came on, look at the southwest border, look at our northern border right now. We have absolutely provided a new opportunity and a new avenue for terrorist organizations to exploit. So I would say in some ways, we, we, we've, we've uh, improved, like, like the airways and other ways, our land borders, I believe we're actually more vulnerable than we were prior to 9-11. Wow. God, it's just almost mind-numbing to hear. And yet, I hear that from so many people on the front lines now. There really is concern. I want to start with a story we had on the on the website this morning. These numbers have been out there for some time, but I think it has particular relevance on the 22nd anniversary of 9-11 because some of the hijackers came through the northern border. They came through Canada, into Portland, Maine, into Boston, obviously hijacked the plane there. A record number of illegal immigrants have been encountered coming through the northern border, not the southern border. A Hundreds of people on the terrorist watch list also encountered at the northern border. In fact, I think the numbers of illegal migrants this year is like four or five or six X what it's been for the last decade. Why the surge at the northern border? And is that concerning to you? It is and it always has been. Unfortunately, the southern border has really sucked most of the oxygen out of the room for obvious reasons. But the northern border has been and continues to be an incredibly important area. Look, just give it a couple of stats of perspective. So the southern border, which I think we all know that the catastrophe that's happened there is about 2,000 miles long. The, the northern border that we share with Canada is over 5,000. It's the largest shared land border, I believe, in the world between two nations. And right now, we think that we have issues with, with our immigration laws, with our ability to stop illegal immigration and people that shouldn't be there. Canada's immigration laws makes ours look squared away. Um, and, and we know that there are many individuals living in Canada that have ties to terrorism, and they could easily come across our northern border. So when we talk, that's why I like to talk in terms of 
borders. And that's one of the, I think, the narratives out there, John, that, that this administration is wanting everybody to only pay attention to like the southwest border, when really all our borders, including the northern border, serves as significant vulnerabilities, especially a national security vulnerability to this nation. Yeah. And some of the people I've been talking with over the last couple of days say basically the signal has been sent now that if you're a bad actor or if you want to get into the country for whatever, it doesn't have to be terrorism. It could be, you know, drug running, human trafficking, God knows what else. We saw a lot of Chinese incursions at military bases in the last few months. The northern border is just as good to get in. That signal is a real problem, right? If you're trying to protect the country and the message to those who want to do harm is that this is a good time to enter. It sort of undercuts your deterrence factors, doesn't it? It does. And again, getting into Canada is easy. It's not difficult. And that's why I go back to, to, you know, their ability, their immigration laws are extremely lax. And so it's pretty straightforward to get into Canada. For example, I'll give you an example. One, Mexican citizen, there is no visa requirement to, to go to Canada. So we already see that the, the, the cartels and smuggling organizations are exploiting that, John. They'll actually now fly them to Canada because there's no visa requirement. And then, of course, then they can easily illegally uh, cross the northern border because, look, we have a lack of resources at our southern border. You can't even imagine the lack of resources, including personnel and technology that we have at the northern border as well. Yeah, no, it's it's really huge. On this anniversary, literally just an hour ago, the inspector general for the Homeland Security Department, the chief watchdog, issued a report that I think has caught a lot of people, not by surprise, but I think it still shocks the conscience. I think we've known the ability to track all these millions of people that we've allowed into the country under Joe Biden was limited. But to see it written so plain as day by the inspector general, basically, we're not tracking. We have no idea where these people go after we release them in the country. These are people who don't belong in the country to begin with. You release them and they don't have any information or very limited information where their address is, where they're staying, how to get back in contact with them. I know you've been warning about this, but to see the inspector general just say it flatly kind of jarring, isn't it? It's hard for me because, John, you and I have talked. I know you know. We This is no surprise for us. We, we know they've been doing it. They've been doing this administration over administration, right? That, that's why it's so important that we detain, right? That's why it's so important that we don't catch and release because we know that they will exploit the system. We know that illegal aliens, before they cross, they dump all their identification on the bank's on the Mexico side. So it'll be more difficult for U.S. authorities to actually verify who they actually are. We know they're giving fake names. We know that when your policy is to catch and process and release as fast as humanly possible, there's no way you can actually vet them. So not only are we and intentionally releasing individuals that we really don't know who they are, that we haven't properly vetted, then they're giving fake addresses. Once we release them, then even if the address address is true. They move. They don't report it. The list goes on and on. This is not surprising. But as you said, it should be terrifying to all of us, especially on the day that we're remembering the worst terrorist attack. And one of the things that we did was set up an incredible effective system of pre-screening, right? Screening people before they come to our borders. And now we're doing the opposite 22 years later. Yeah, it's really, really remarkable. The last time you were on, you gave us such a great analysis of why so many Chinese nationals are coming across the border illegally. Now, a couple, and you kind of warned that, hey, they're probably doing surveillance and other things. Now, Congress was informed, I think about 10 days ago, 12 days ago, that there were 
numerous incursions by Chinese nationals into military bases, getting access to the bases when they weren't entitled to do so. It can't be an accident that these two things happen at the same time. Is there a covert, in your guess, in your estimation, is there a covert Chinese program to take advantage of the open border to spy or do other things while on U.S. soil? So that's an intelligence gap, and that's something in my position I I can't say for sure, John. But here's what I can say for sure, is that this is another fact that should terrify us. Look, we we can just run down. I mean, after our botched withdrawal, the Taliban now has regained control of Afghanistan. It's returned to a safe haven for terrorist organizations. We've apprehended illegal aliens, as we discussed on the FBI's terror screening database, more in the last 30 months than we have in the past 10 years. We've apprehended illegal aliens from 170 different countries, 170 different countries, including China, like you said, as, uh, that want to do uh, that clearly is a threat to our country, but also illegal aliens from what we call special interest countries, countries that we know that terrorism has a hold in their country. And we know that illegal aliens are coming from those countries. We know that, that uh, a smuggler with co- connections uh, to ISIS smuggling Uzbekistanians just a few weeks ago. We know that terrorism has claws in Uzbekistan. I mean, the list goes on. We know that the terrorist organizations globally are still ever bit as committed and unwavering to do harm to Americans abroad and here at home. And now they have to look no further than our wide open southwest border to exploit. We literally could have the next terrorist sleeper cell in the United States plan the next terrorist attack. And how did they get here? I could tell you one way. They could be a part of the 1.6 million known gotaways that have evaded apprehension and now call the United States home because border patrol agents aren't on the line. They're in, in facilities processing illegal aliens. Ugh. I mean, that's it. They're all distracted. They're playing concierge service instead of security service. And what a recipe for, and it only takes one person, right, to take advantage of the scenario. The dynamics are incredibly gruesome. I think a a lot of people really worried that we're just sitting with a glass chin waiting for some bad news to happen. As you look out right now, and, and I think most people entering into the 23rd year after these terrorist attacks wonder what's next in the war on terror? How do we do this? The withdrawal from Afghanistan, some pretty shocking comments by retired General Frank McKenzie who oversaw the withdrawal saying it was a mistake and that it was a fatal flaw, meaning Joe Biden's strategy for the way we were going to exit was a fatal flaw. How big a long-term albatross is the fall of Afghanistan to Taliban and the lack of eyes, U.S. eyes on the ground in Afghanistan? Significant. And your last part is the key. And I I watched that interview of General McKenzie, again, the former commander of U.S. Central Command that oversaw the withdrawal. Right. So so I, I, I watched that again and again. And he said something at the end that you just said, you hit on, which is key for me, because after 9-11, here's what happened to the entire intelligence community and the law enforcement community in this country. We shifted from a, a law enforcement reactive approach to an intelligence-driven, threat-based, preventative, proactive approach. That was a seismic shift for not only FBI and other law enforcement entities, but also our intelligence community. And one of the things that made us so successful in the past 22 years that we've been able to prevent another large-scale terrorist attack is intelligence, John. And, 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 and that's, she asked the, the general that question. Do you think from a national security perspective, we still should have had troops uh, uh, remain? And he said, that was my recommendation then, and I have no uh, uh, evidence to change that recommendation now. I agree with him 100%. We made ourselves blind and dumb by removing everybody there 
and not have the ability to gain tactical, actionable, credible intelligence on the battlefield, I think we made ourselves more vulnerable to a national security threat because of that. Wow. Yeah, it was really a stunning interview. I was watching Saturday night. I decided, you know, I got to go write this up right now because even on a Saturday night, it just struck me as, oh my goodness. And it's the first time he's really talked about it in a candid setting. Two years. Yep. Yeah, two years. It's yep. just remarkable. I, I did I did the same thing, John. I did. I, I stopped. I forgot what I was doing about it. I stopped and I listened to it and I took copious notes uh, because it was so significant. For the first time, we actually had somebody uh, be honest and in part with respect to it was a bad decision and that now from a national security set we, a perspective, we made ourselves more vulnerable with respect to the fact that we pulled everybody out in the way that we did it. And keep in mind, look, the Taliban. I mean, they knew, and he admitted, they knew that the Taliban, it would just be a matter of time before they would take over. And then, of course, Afghanistan would return to a safe haven for terrorists so that they could regroup and regenerate and continue to plan another attack against our homeland. That's happening right now, John. And now, look, we've done a really good job of securing, again, our, our air travel. But our border, our land borders are literally wide open. 32 months, 1.6 million known gotaways. John, we, that, that's not sustainable. It's, we have forgotten why DHS was created after 9-11, if we're allowing that to happen. Yeah, no, it's, it's so stunning to see. The evidence is all lined up about just how significant a terrorist threat and the rhetoric in Washington, at least from the administration, very different. Anyone who goes to the border, even Democrats have gone to the border like, oh, we have a problem. How surprised are you that in the last maybe two to three weeks, you've seen Mayor Adams, you've seen some governors, Democrats, mayors beginning to speak up and challenge the president saying, this is not sustainable. Do you think that the Democratic Party is in the process of having at least some of its people turn against the president on this issue now? No, not at all. I see it differently, John. If you, because this is another thing too, I've listened to Eric Adams' comments if you look at the entire, listen to the entirety of the comments, at the end, he doesn't blame President Biden. He, he, he doesn't blame Biden at all for this. He actually tries to blame Governor Abbott. He refers to Governor Abbott as a madman, right, that's, that's sending these illegal aliens to a city. There's a couple of key significant things here. First of all, there's not a single illegal alien that got on a bus that Governor Abbott had provided to a system that they didn't want to get on and voluntarily go to New York because they know New York is a sanctuary state. They know that they're going to be treated like an American citizen, even though they illegally entered the United States. They're going to get free health care. They're going to get free education. They're going to get welfare and a whole bunch of assistance and quickly get a job. So they know that, number one. Number two, he said in the past 10, 12 months, he's received 110,000 illegal aliens in New York City. Well, guess what? New York, I mean, the, the, the Governor Abbott has only sent about 13,000 there. So, so where, where, where is the, the other rest coming from? That's such a great point. Right? Yeah. Right, right. The, the other 95%, 95,000 just in the past 12 months, well, we know where they came from. The Biden administration, right, he, through his Ponzi scheme of, of giving federal taxpayer money to non-governmental organizations who then, their clothing feeding, buying a, a bus or a plane ticket and flying them into New York, New York at, at the dead of night. He doesn't mention that. And, and the, other, the other thing that's really frustrating for me is we're overly focused on the illegal aliens instead of the cause and effect. What, what about governor, what, what about the New York uh, uh, talking about the, the, the fentanyl? 
The fentanyl that's pouring in across the border, making it to New York. There's somebody, every three hours, there's another victim in New York City of fentanyl or drug overdose. But he doesn't talk about that. What about the crime rate? We know among the 1.6 million, we know there are murderers, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons, and gang members that make their way to New York City almost on a daily basis. We're not talking about that. You know, we, we, we still, the narrative is, is let's react to the crisis after it's already in the United States by throwing millions and actually billions of U.S. taxpayers' dollars instead of stopping the crisis at our border from getting here. And one last thing I'll say, I know I'm going long here, John. This oh, is but important. this is important, though. You can go as long as you want. This is, a, this is existential. <laughs> it, it, it is because here's the other thing. We've lost the narrative. We, we, we have made the, the Democrats and open border advocates – they, they have, uh, you know, uh, um, convinced the American people and hijacked their compassion that what's happening on our borders is about immigration. It's not. It's a lie. What's happening on our borders is about what we've been talking about. It's about national security. It's about our national safety, which in part and large part is driven by illegal immigration. When you have millions of illegal aliens that have crossed our border in the last 32 months, that pulls resources off the front line, they're relegated to do an administrative task to process and re- release, the border is wide open, the, the, the cartels gain operational control to pass through drugs, criminals, and potential national security threats. But, but to include every state, including New York, but the only thing we're talking about is the illegal alien that's here and and that we need more federal taxpayer dollars to give them uh, uh, food, clothing, shelter, instead of stopping the crisis. Yeah, we're having the wrong conversation right now in Washington. And it's uh, their last question. Republicans have a chance with the budget, uh, which is uh, coming up fast and year of end funding bills to do something. What is the best advice you have or would give them if they were listening? The best advice is to listen to your podcast, right? (laughs) All right, I'll take that. (laughs) Right, right. Because what we're talking about is truth and reality and that that they must secure the borders. This is not about legal immigration. That's a separate subject. This is about securing our borders and protecting our nation's safety and national security. And that means that they need to stand up and have political will and courage to do what Ever it takes to force this administration to reverse course, to end its open border policies, to protect this country. And the, 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 the House of Republicans passed H.R. 2, which, which laid out the strongest border security bill in our nation's history. Personally, I don't think it went far enough, to be honest, but it still is the strongest. They should use that as leverage and demand. We will not pass appropriation. We will not give DHS one more dollar to continue to facilitate their open border madness and that they should use HR2 as a leverage to say, we're not going to pass the spending bill. We will close down the government unless you pass HR2 as part of a complete reversal in your open border policies to protect this country. Hold the line. That is the, uh, Hold the line. Yeah, that is the brilliant uh, strategy. And it hasn't been followed thus far, but it seems like this is a moment of truth for all of us now. Uh, Mark, it is always an honor to have you on the podcast. You always give us wisdom. You always give us facts. And facts are a stubborn thing, particularly in an era where there's a lot of spin in Washington. So grateful for your time. So grateful also for the incredible service you've given this country. I, I, I always forget because of all the great work you did on the border, the great work you did for the FBI and, of course, for the Los Angeles Police Department for that. We really appreciate all of that service for this great country. 
Well, thanks, John. Thanks for having me on on this day. And, and, and you know, the, the, the phrase, let's never forget, that's just not a catchphrase. That's embedded in our DNA. And, and unfortunately, I think what, what's happened on the border does show us that many have forgotten and our vigilance needs to be regained if we're going to continue to do our best to prevent another horrific terrorist attack on our homeland. So thanks for having me today. It's an honor to have you on and an honor to have that wisdom shared with our audience. We'll get you back on real soon. Thanks again. You bet. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. All right, folks, anyone anywhere, want me to come back? Yep. Bernie Carrick, the NYPD commissioner that fateful day 22 years ago. He'll be joining us in a few minutes. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now, get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS. They know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. One of the lionized figures from 9-11, the man who oversaw the NYPD and also created the largest evacuation in American history. Joining us right now, former NYPD Commissioner Bernie Kerr, great friend of the show. Commissioner, good to have you back on. Thanks, John. 22 years, first time a president couldn't find the time to show up in either New York or Washington for the commemoration. Homeland Security Secretary, the guy with the open border, trying to squeeze in on the 9-11 ceremonies. Your reaction to both men's decisions today? I think it's disgusting. I, I, I got to be honest, John. I, I was disgusted with the fact that Biden wasn't going to be there or attend any ceremony, whether it was New York, Shanksville, D.C., Pentagon. That That's one thing. But I have to tell you, Seeing Mayorkas, people like Mayorkas, AOC, these people were at that ceremony today. Mayorkas is responsible for the most substantial threat to this country in my lifetime. 
with a completely open border that he's done willfully, intentionally, admittedly. That guy's standing at that ceremony today. He, he contradicts everything that that ceremony was about. And he's standing down there like he's, you know, celebrating uh, 9-11. You know, AOC, is, is, she's a socialist. She despises cops. She's denounced cops. She's asked for defunding of cops. What are you doing there? What are these people doing there? It was absolutely, I, I was, the mayor and I went there this morning. Uh, we stayed until the second bell and we left. And, and I, I, I couldn't take it. I, I was completely aggravated, frustrated. I think it was utterly disgusting. I assume that that reaction isn't just limited to you. I think a lot of New Yorkers today wondered what sort of message the Biden administration set. New York is frustrated by a lot of things, right? It's frustrated by the migrant crisis oh, that its own president and mayor and sanctuary state policies created. Do you think everyday New Yorkers are reconsidering the sort of traditional Democratic lean they have now in light of what they're experiencing? Well, I can tell you this, John, the entire area of Southern Manhattan today, everywhere Giuliani went, he was loved. I mean, people were coming up, thanking him, uh, taking photos, asking for his autograph, all this stuff. I didn't see anybody doing that to none of them, none of them. And, and, you know, I, I just think it's, it's insulting. It's, it's, uh, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I can't even, I can't even talk as to how, frustrated I was this morning by all of these people being there. Yeah, yeah, it's just that's such a mixed message. I'm really a, a message of hypocrisy on a day that doesn't deserve any hypocrisy. This day should never be there. I want to ask about preparedness. Every year that goes by, I worry that the slogan we won't forget is not just a bumper sticker, that it has to be operationalized every day. Do you feel like our guard is down in ways that we haven't been in a while? It's not only down, John. It's it's worse than down. When you intentionally and willfully open the borders, you're not vetting the people coming into this country. There's no monitoring of the people coming into this country. That's intentional stuff. That's not these. This this isn't by accident. This is intentional stuff, um, and and it makes for a threat that I believe is far greater than the threat we faced on September 10th of 2001. So it's, um, you know, we're not safer. Um, we were. Our intelligence capabilities are far better than they were. But when you have an administration that's allowing people to come into this country unvetted, unmonitored, and, you know, we've already collected 200 people on the watch list. Like, come on, really? What are you doing? Yeah, no, the numbers are mind boggling. And they're also coming in through the northern border by large numbers, too. I think 300 in the northern border were flagged for being on the terrorist watch list as well. It's it's pretty crazy. There's one other thing that actually feels pre 9-11 and worrisome. We are blind in Afghanistan for the first time now in a very long time. Does that add to the threat level? Yes, 100 percent. And And I have to tell you, not only are we blind there, our intelligence capabilities internationally have suffered because the the power of the United States of America, 
the authority of the United States of America has been diminished by this administration. We're not respected in the Middle East like we were, whether it's whether it's Saudi Arabia or Jordan or or any of the other uh, other uh, countries in, in the Middle East. There is no respect for Joe Biden. I promise you, I worked there for 10 years. I know all those people. They, they have no respect for this administration, which means we get nothing. And for us, that's dangerous. Now, that cooperative agreement, particularly the ones that were created after 9-11, that's how we rolled up so many of the bad guys. But you're right. I talked to a lot of the Middle Eastern countries. They don't even like dealing with this president or his people at all. It really is scary. Last one, because I know how busy you are and how in demand you are today. There's a lot of memories of that day. And a couple of years ago, you spent a lot of quality time walking through all of the moments on the 20th anniversary. But one of the things I don't think people appreciate, you literally affected the largest evacuation in American history in the shortest amount of time. As you look back at that now, how extraordinary is that, that you were able to basically empty Manhattan in an orderly way in a very short period of time? Yeah, that's the one thing I think uh, people don't really uh, realize, John. We took 20 to 25,000 people out of those buildings in the surrounding area. But then we evacuated close to a million people out of Manhattan, into the four boroughs and into New Jersey. Um, and and I, I think people lose sight of that. Um, this was this was a feat that was done within six to eight hours. And it was almost done seamlessly by the policies and the programs um, that we had in place, that Giuliani basically put in place from 1994 on when he created the Office of Emergency Management. I think it's, um, you know, it was the greatest rescue mission um, in the history of this nation. And I think it's unparalleled. I don't think anybody's done anything close to that. No, and it was that preparedness. That's the thing that when I did the story a couple of years ago, the level of thought, the tabletop exercises, all of the planning that you did under Mayor Giuliani, those eight years of working together, you made that day possible, the evacuation and, and the orderliness of it because of really great preparation, something we seem to lack a lot in government today with. Pretty remarkable. Sir, on this day, I know Americans all across this country salute you and Mayor Giuliani for the heroism and also the incredible steady hand of leadership we needed that day we needed that leadership and you were right there on the front lines providing it and that's something we're never going to forget what an honor to have you on the show today thank you john Uh, you have a good one folks we're going to take a quick commercial break when we come back yep an interview i did a couple years ago with lee hamilton the democrat vice chairman of the 9-11 commission he had lots of words of wisdom including the fact that our vigilance can't be allowed to slide as more history passes between the day of that terrible tax and today lee hamilton's very prescient words they're still meaningful today 22 years later right after these messages hey folks it's john solomon here today i want to shine a light on amac an organization who's dedicated to america's seniors but is vital for conservatives of all ages amac stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. 
Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews. And extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day. And I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, a man whose service in Washington left a very important impact and who continues to have a big impact in the foreign policy and national security space, particularly former Congressman Lee Hamilton and the former co-chairman of the 9-11 Commission is joining us. Congressman, good to have you on the show today. I'm delighted to be with you, John. You wrote an op-ed a couple of weeks ago that just caught my attention. And a lot of people that I know have been talking about a very thoughtful piece on the lessons that Congress must still learn from the 9-11 era. And I wonder if you could just expound a little bit about what you meant and what what concerns you about the state of Congress today. Well, I think um, we learned a lot of lessons in the 9-11 Commission that... uh, have a lot of validity for today. Among those was, uh, well, there are several that come to mind immediately, uh, but among them was the importance of uh, getting the facts straight. Uh, that sounds so simple. Right. It is not. But uh, we understood that the first thing you have to do when you're confronted with a problem is to find the facts. It became a kind of a source of amusement, really, with our staff when Tom <laughs> Kane and I were working on these things. We had a reputation for always turning to the staff and saying, what are the facts? Now, that's one of two things you always have to do. Not quite as simple as it sounds. Right. Because facts are dynamic and they're changing all the time and evolving. The other thing you have to do, of course, and more important in terms of policy, 
is uh, to make recommendations. And uh, that has to be the focus of any kind of public inquiry, it seems to me, most of the ones I've been involved in. So those two things come out of my mind as we talk about the public policy. Yeah, such an important part. It seems today that the politics of the day, and maybe because it's a social media and instantaneous, but we seem to want to come to conclusions before we have the facts, and then we're always shifting, and it's like a, a sand underneath our feet. When you look back at that moment, I mean, the what your report left as an extraordinary legacy was a failure in the intelligence community, law enforcement intelligence, to connect dots that clearly hinted at what was about to happen, these horrible attacks that were in 9-11 in the aftermath, after you did your report and you had all these contacts and, and all the reforms that were done, how good did you feel that the intelligence community had been significantly changed by not only the experience of 9-11, but by the fact-finding and policy decisions that grew from that? Look, I think we learned a lot, and I don't have any hesitation in making the overall judgment that we're safer today than uh, we were at the time. Look, we put into place a whole department of government right. and we have made hundreds of changes in almost every government agency and department staffing up with the real experts and um, putting a lot more money resources time in the whole effort of uh, trying to make sure that the government fulfills its function of keeping the people safe right so um, I think a lot of progress has been made. Now, having said that, a lot more needs to be done. And uh, so the work is still ahead of us. Out of the recommendations that you made, uh, what are the ones that haven't been yet implemented that you think are, are most important to get done even 20 years later? Oh, my, I don't know where to start. I, I, <laughs> I said, the toughest problem I encountered I think we've made progress on, but I still put it at the top of the list, and that is uh, sharing information. Government tends to become very polarized, becomes very jealous of uh, jurisdictions right. in sharing information and uh, working across not just departmental lines, but certainly that, but also even within the same department. There's a great tendency in the federal bureaucracy to say, uh, let me handle it. Trust me, I can I can do it. Right. Uh, that's I'm always wary of that, sometimes appropriate, I guess. But I think you need to make sure that your institutions, your groups, your people are sharing information. Uh, if we had shared information that we had before 9-11, there's not much doubt in my mind, but that we could have prevented it. We just didn't do it. Now, we've put a lot of mechanisms into place that I think are helpful, but we've got a ways to go. Yeah, well, the, your report made a big leap forward for all those government agencies because it really laid bare the facts and then some very common sense reforms and, and suggestions to get the government where it needed to be. It's been a long time now. I know it's been 20 years, but your recollections of 9-11 in the, in the aftermath, what most stands out for you? I mean, you're a man who saw a lot of history in your time in Congress and service of your country, but that moment, what are some of the most visceral memories you have from that time? 
Well, I, I was impressed with the impact the events of that day had on the American people. It, uh, it's kind of hard to imagine today when we've become so polarized and uh, the country's really become more complicated. Right. But uh, the whole nation focused on the, the events of 9 and 11. And I mean really focused on it. Uh, Tom Kane and I, uh, when we were chairman of the commission, uh, used to joke about it. We would literally, it would be impossible for us to walk down the street without people stopping us to ask us and give us advice on what we ought to be doing. Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah. In the in the best of uh, spirits and always in an effort, it seemed to me to be uh, cooperative. Right. Uh, so that's one of the things that really stands out to me. I also uh, became persuaded that those of us in government have to do a much better job of explaining to the country what we're doing. And that means on the road a lot, going to all kinds of places and audiences to tell them what you're doing, why you're doing it, what your problems are, what you think you can accomplish, what you cannot, and uh, all the other things you needed to do together. All of this, of course, uh, requires that you keep working together, team teamwork. You always had a remarkable reputation, sir, of being able to work with all sides of the aisles, right? Your side, the Democratic side, the Republican side. How concerned are you about the polarization of our country right now? And do you have any advice for the generation that's there now in the Marble Asylum? What can they do to try to talk more about we in America and less about us and them inside America? I think you have to remember that you do not accomplish, I don't think, anything of lasting value in our complicated government, unless you do it in a bipartisan way. You can do something as a Democrat, and it can be helpful, but it will not be long-lasting unless you invite the Republicans in, and vice versa. You can do something worthwhile as a Republican. But look, we have to have bilateral, bipartisan effort in order to do anything of lasting value in our country. The Democrats will be in office for one day, they'll be out the next day. Right. The same is true of the Republicans. You've got to do it in a bipartisan way. Yes. So it won't be done permanently. We seem to forget that in this generation that we have now. I've been watching this town for a long time, and your generation, I think, showed it could be done. This generation seems to struggle a lot with it. As you look out now, we're entering the third decade of the war on terrorism, and it clearly isn't over. I mean, obviously, we may have pulled out of Afghanistan, but the threat and the determination of the enemy is still there. What do you assess? First, start with uh, what, how we exited Afghanistan. Any concerns about what we leave behind there and what could happen in Afghanistan? I think the first question that you have to address when you decide to deal with a country like Afghanistan, and of course it applies across the board, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the American national interest in this country, 
that has to be the focus. Now, let's talk about Afghanistan a moment. There are very few countries on the face of the globe where we have less of an interest than Afghanistan. Having said that, we have important interests there. We do not want Afghanistan to be used, by way of illustration, as a safe haven from which an attack on us or our friends could be made. Now, that's a very important national interest to the United States. We cannot do much with it unless we have bipartisan cooperation in dealing with that kind of a problem. So I think when I look at all of our problems today, I often say to myself, we do not sit down early on and spell out precisely what the interest is in that country. Such good wisdom. You're right. And all our foreign policy in the years where it worked, it always started with what's the American interest and then how do we achieve it? And it seems like we've gotten away from that that basics. The Secretary of Defense Austin, uh, General Milley, Chairman of uh, Joint Chiefs, have all said that they have an assessment that within two years, a, a terror attack could potentially be staged from Afghanistan upon an American interest. Lloyd Austin also said that he thought that al-Qaeda had a good chance of reconstituting itself in Afghanistan. When you hear our top leaders say that, what's your first impression about that? My first impression is they're right. Uh, there is a tendency we have to go after a problem hard, aggressively, right. oftentimes effectively, but we don't sustain it. These are not problems. Terrorism is a good illustration that we're going to solve. What you do is you manage it you try to reduce the impact of the bad things and increase some of the good things that we do. So I think you have to get your mindset has to be one of permanence and understanding that these threats come and go. They rise and fall in urgency, but they continue. And your response has to be institutions that are flexible and are well-staffed, well-resourced, and able to go with the flow of events around the world. It seems like such important uh, advice. If you were to, uh, last question, because I know how busy you are, if you had a moment to advise President Biden right now and the moment he's in, he's got his, his ratings are down, people are frustrated with the images, what's going on, what advice would you give President Biden as it relates to security, Afghanistan, terrorism, the war, 9-11, 20th anniversary? Oh, my. Look, presidents are busy people. They need a core group of people, of experts, whom they are comfortable with. Right. And choose to keep them advised on the daily basis of what the major threats to the United States are. And they have to focus with a laser-like uh, concentration on what are the threats to the United States today. And rethink that question on a regular basis and then institute in your government ways to deal with it. That is great advice. Sir, I came to Washington when you were at the height of your power, and I've always learned and, and watched you through the years. And your wisdom, your bipartisanship has always blessed this country. And I want to thank you so much today for participating in this special and helping us understand one of the, one of the most momentous events in American history. And I thank you very much. 
My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, one last one. Yep. We've got to never forget not only the people who died that day, but also those left behind, the families that had to pick up the children that went to school without their moms and dads anymore, the loved ones, the voids left in our life. One of those, my good friend, Ted Olson, former Solicitor General of the United States, he lost his wife, Barbara, 22 years ago today. I did an interview a couple of years ago with him on the 20th anniversary. I've never forgotten their story, nor should you. That's why we're going to play it next, right after these messages. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break and very honored to have joining us right now. One of the great lawyers in the history of America, former solicitor general, a man who's won the majority, vast majority of the cases he argued before the Supreme Court, somebody who served this country for a long time and who has a very personal connection to 9-11. Joining me right now, the former solicitor general of the United States, Ted Olson. Ted, great to have you on the show today. Thank you, John. I appreciate having a chance to talk to you. Uh, You've been a good friend for many years. I appreciate that. Oh, you're very kind to say so. One of the most poignant memories I have of 9-11 was around midday that day calling you and and asking if Barbara was on that plane, your wife, Barbara, an amazing Senate investigator, amazing lawyer. And I've never forgotten that call and that moment and all of that blur. But uh, that was a pretty remarkable and painful day, I know, for you. What's your biggest remembrance of that moment around being around the president and, and also getting such tragic news yourself? Well, it was a very, very difficult day of the entire morning. She had left that morning, and when I noticed my secretary came in that morning, I was at my office in the Solicitor General's office at the Justice Department. My assistant came in and had had me turn on the television, so we saw what was happening in New York, and not long after that. And I began to worry right then, because Barbara had boarded a plane that morning to fly to Los Angeles, and I just, when I saw that airplanes were involved, I was very worried that she might be on one of them. And then I got a call. My secretary came in and said Barbara was on the phone. And I was first very, very relieved 
that she was okay. And then when we spoke, she told me that her airplane had been hijacked. So it was, I don't know how she managed to get through on the phone that day, uh, but we talked for a, just a minute or two. I tried to find out where she was. She asked me what she could do to tell the pilot and so forth. It was a very short conversation, but but very, very horrifying. Mm. The connection broke off. She managed to get through once again. I told her about the World Trade Center, and I had to let her know that that was happening. And right. uh, we said another word or two, and then it was cut off again. I think that's the moment the... Her plane crashed into the Pentagon, so mm. it was a horrible, horrible day. Mm. And it took a while before we found out that, indeed, the crash at the Pentagon, which was first reported as just an explosion, right. was indeed an aircraft. And then we found out that American Airlines flight that she was on. So it was a very horrifying experience. Can't begin to describe how awful that day was, but yeah. um, it's seared in my memory. It has to be. Yeah. You showed such dignity, and I think that those who suffered the most also helped this country heal because all throughout this, the dignity and the kindness that you showed, even as you were grieving, I think was the sort of thing that rallied this country and said, you know, we got hit hard, but we're not going to take it. How, you know, being inside the Bush administration at such a senior level, you personally having experienced the loss of that terror, what was so remarkable about the response that America mustered in those two days after 9-11? I found it was very, very important for me because the public, I think Barbara was the one name and one face that was flashed on the television yes. screen that many Americans knew because of her many appearances on television. Right. Um, she had and, a great book. And, yeah. And because I had been involved in uh, Bush versus Gore battle and so forth. Some people knew who I was and I felt it was important given how many people knew Barbara and people who were aware of me for me to get out and talk yes. about the fact that Barbara was a resilient person. We were a resilient country. We had, we had suffered a terrible, unspeakable tragedy, but we could not allow ourselves to be defeated or brought down by these terrorists and that we had to show the world and one another that we were strong, that we would come back, that we were not going to be defeated. I felt it was very important as someone who would be recognized as speaking out about this to convey that message that life was going to go on, we were going to bounce back, and we are strong people, and this was a terrible, terrible tragedy, but we could rise above it somehow and move forward. Well, that message did resonate. I remember those appearances like they were yesterday. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years already. As you look at where we are in the war on terror, which, of course, as, as we all know, is a never-ending war. It's not going to stop anytime soon. How do you assess where we find ourselves today and what's important for the next decade as we try to continue to fight radical Islamists? Well, I think one of the most terrible things that I can imagine is to recognize what happened on September 11, 20 years ago, by turning the world back over to the Taliban, to turn the country and terrorists that were responsible for what happened 20 years ago, we have given them back the power and the resources to do it to us and to the rest of the world again and again. And when I see the pictures of the people that the Taliban have put in control of that country, and we know who those people are. We know what they stand for. We know what they do. One of the leaders has a nickname, the Butcher. Yes. 
one of them is on the FBI's most wanted list. Virtually all of them are labeled as terrorists. We know what they have done to innocent people, beheading, maiming, what they do to women and children. And we have allowed those people to take over an entire country and be allied with other terrorist groups. It is devastating. I can imagine two days from now, we're going to be recognizing and remembering the people that were killed and maimed that day. And at the same time, we're reading headlines of celebrations in Kabul and other parts of Afghanistan of the same people who are responsible for what happened. And how that, how we could allow that to take place is, is beyond my comprehension. Yeah. So many of the people I've talked to have said exactly that. They're so, so indignant about the, how do we make sure that the sacrifices of your extraordinary wife, of Barbara, of your, all the work you did in the aftermath of 9-11, what are some of the steps you'd like us to see take to make sure that we remain resilient against this threat? One of the things that, and I have a piece that's going to be in the Washington Post on September 11. Wonderful. We said we will not forget and President Biden said those same words a couple of weeks ago when uh, 13 Americans were killed at that airport in Kabul. We will never forget. Well, we have forgotten. We have turned that same country over this, to the same people who are responsible for terrorism. We cannot forget. We cannot let the leaders of this country forget has what has happened to us. We cannot negotiate with people whose only goal is to bring us to our knees, to kill our Americans and other people in other civilized countries in the world, and to subjugate and terrorize women and children and girls and not let them get educated. We can't forget that. We have to be vigilant. We can say what the president seems to be saying is that uh, we've ended the war on terrorism. We have not ended the war on terrorism as long as the terrorists are conducting a war on us. I mean, it's just inexcusable. And we will continue to suffer tragedies until we realize what we're dealing with. And that that war is not going to be over. Those people are going to continue to do what they've tried to do in the past, what they've done in the past, and what they're going to try to do in the future. Yeah, it is so true. Like the many arguments you've made before the Supreme Court, an enormous amount of wisdom in the words you just said, Ted. And I want to thank you first for what you did for our country. I know the huge sacrifice of losing Barbara, but you did. You were one of those people that just created resilience. And everybody said, if he can get up off the ground, we can get up off the ground. We're going to be forever grateful for that, sir. Well, John, you're a very, very dear friend. I know you were a dear friend of Barbara. She had such great respect for you and the work that you did. You were up there at the very, very top of the list of journalists that she always respected. She knew and I know that you always did your homework. You were someone we could trust and a dear, dear abiding friend. So thank you for that. I, I had the same respect for both of you and do to this day. So God bless you. And I hope this anniversary brings a lot of peace and solace because you deserve it for all you've done for our country. I appreciate it, John. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Ted. Good to talk to you. 
All right, sir. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Hey, remember the four Patriots offer. This is a good time with hurricane season bearing down, maybe the winter blizzards coming on the horizon. If you live in a place that gets hit by heavy snow, go stock up today on emergency food kits from my friends at Four Patriots, and you won't have to worry about it. It's very easy. Go to fourpatriots.com, use the promo code SOLOMON, S-O-L-O-M-O-N, and let's get that peace of mind by getting those food kits on your shelf. You'll never need them again. You'll have them in case of a catastrophe. That's a good deal. Also, check out the solar power generator. I'm really fond of that one. I'm a gadget guy, and I love that. All right, that wraps it up. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. Until then, never forget today, the 22nd anniversary of the September 11, 2001 terror attacks. To all who died, to all who suffered that day, to all who fought in the defense of this country since that moment, we applaud you, we salute you, and we'll never forget your sacrifices. Have a good day, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow. God bless, and God bless this great country of America. Good evening. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34-plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. History, economics, the great works of literature, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution. Did you study these things in school? Probably not. Or even if you did, like I did, maybe it's time for a refresher. Time and technology have changed a lot of things, but they have not changed basic fundamental truths about the world and our place in it as America. That's why I'm so excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses in the most important and enduring subject. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the stories in the book of Genesis, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, you heard me, for free. You don't get anything free in the Biden economy today. I personally recommend you sign up for the American Citizenship and its decline. It's with my good friend, the great historian, Victor Davis Hanson. In this eight-lecture course, VDH, as I like to call him, explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and Its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hanson, today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free, and it's easy to get started, and it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu slash justnews. One more time, hillsdale.edu slash justnews.